The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, Pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church and director of the March Design broadcast. Please stay tuned for a message of salvation by grace.
Good morning. It's a great blessing to speak to you this morning on the radio. We're so thankful to have the opportunity to preach the message of salvation by grace alone from week to week. I'm so delighted this morning to have my good friend, Elder Luke Hegler, who is also a member of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, where I pastor. He's going to be preaching for us here in just a little while, and we look forward to hearing that. We invite you to come and worship with us at Bethlehem anytime that you can. We meet each Sunday morning at 1030 and on the second and fourth Wednesday nights at six o'clock. We enjoy worshiping the Lord in a very simple manner. We come together in one room as families and individuals, and we sing, we preach, and we pray. It's a refreshing thing to enjoy this day and time when everything around us seems to be so complicated. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at my email address. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W.com. Following this song, we'll hear a message from Elder Luke Hegler. Good to be back with you this morning. I hope everybody's had a wonderful week, and I appreciate the time from Brother Tim to preach to you on the radio this morning. In Romans eleven six, it says this, And if by grace, 
then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about grace and works. As we begin, I want you to think about things that cannot coexist. There are things that cannot coexist. Now, you may, in a humorous type way, say some things that cannot coexist are uh, a husband and wife, where one of them is an Alabama fan and another is an Auburn fan. You may say those two things cannot coexist. Well, they may not coexist very well one day out of the year, but they can. It is possible for them to coexist. I'm talking about things that cannot coexist. When one is present, the other one will be totally absent. And when the other is present, the first will be totally absent. Uh, for example, let's imagine uh, that you're in a room and it is it is sealed off and it is absolute darkness. There is no there is no light whatsoever. It's a darkness like the Bible tells us uh, in the uh, in Exodus. It is a darkness that can be felt. It is that dark. Absolutely no light. Absolute darkness. Now, I want you to imagine you're sitting there in that absolute darkness, and in the very corner of that room, the smallest, tiniest little source of light uh, appears. Now, once that light appears, now it may still be dark in that room, but it is no longer absolute darkness. Once that light appears, absolute darkness is gone. I'm not telling you that, that it's not still dim in there and still dark, but you cannot have absolute darkness coexist at all with any source of light. A source of light being present completely drives away absolute darkness. Those two things cannot coexist. Where there is light, there will never be, ever, ever be absolute darkness. All right? So I want you to think in terms of that, where one thing, uh, that's an example of something that cannot coexist with each other. Now, in Romans, the 11th chapter, it tells us that there are, are there are two other things, two biblical things, biblical words that cannot coexist with one another. And that is grace. And then it is works. And the Bible says again, I'll read it. And if by grace then it is no more of work. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. Do you see what he's saying? If you have grace, if something is accomplished by grace, then it is no more of works. Because if you insert the tiniest amount of work into that equation, then all of a sudden grace is driven away and gone away and loses that identity because work is present. Just like absolute darkness cannot exist with a tiniest source of light, grace cannot exist when there's the tiniest source of work put in there. Likewise, it says, but if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So where there is work and you insert the tiniest amount of grace, they lose their identity because they cannot coexist with one another. Now, let's define both of those terms, grace and work. Grace is just uh, unmerited favor. It, it is a situation where someone receives grace, and that means they are undeserving of that favor. Uh, unmerited favor means you don't do anything to deserve it. You don't do anything to earn it. It is given to you in the absence of you deserving it. That's what grace is. Now, the definition of works, I've looked it up in many different definitions, and the definition of work is anything accomplished by the hands or the mind. It's anything that requires energy. It's anything that requires effort. That is the definition of a work. So Paul writes in Romans, when e either something is by unmerited favor, it is it is giving something 
to someone than when they're totally undeserving of that favor, or it's something that requires energy and effort and is something accomplished by our hand or mind. Now look at this in Romans, the fourth chapter in verse four, it says now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Here we have these two words again, work and grace. Now to him that worketh, that means when somebody's accomplished something by their hand or mind, somebody has put forth energy and effort. The reward that is received based on that work, the Bible says it is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So get that picture. Let me use this example. I want you to imagine an employer who has many employees. And that employer tells those employees that if you will work for me so many hours, then at the end of the week, I will give you so much money. Now, let's say that 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 person, that employee meets that condition. Let's say that they do that work. And when they finish that work at the end of the week, if that employer were to walk up to them and hand them that money and say to them, you didn't deserve any of this. You are undeserving of this money. I imagine that that employee would be very frustrated saying, what do you mean I didn't deserve any of this? I worked hard for you. I did everything that you told me to. I met the conditions that you gave me and I earned this. As a matter of fact, you owe it to me because that was our agreement. Do you see the difference there? This employee worked. He worked hard and he met the conditions that this employer told him to meet. And the the reward that he receives is not an act of grace. That employer paying that employee is not an act of grace. It's an act of debt. That employer, now that this person, this employee has met the conditions and completed those conditions, once that employee does that, that employer becomes a debtor to him. You have given me this time and this effort, and now as a result, I owe you something, and I owe you this money. So, That is an example to show when you work for something and you receive that reward, that is not an act of grace. That is an act of somebody becoming a debtor and paying off their debt. Now, let's talk about the subject of eternal salvation this morning. Let's talk about that. Eternal salvation. Is our eternal salvation based on grace or is it based on works? I've already established with you this morning that it cannot be both. Our eternal salvation cannot be based on grace as well as works, because once, if it is grace, according to Romans, if it is grace, then it's no more of works. And if it's by works, it's no more of grace. Here are two things that cannot coexist. They cannot equally contribute to something. It's either all of one or all of the other. So what about eternal salvation? It's either all of grace or it's all of works, but it is not a combination of the two. We read in Ephesians 2, 8, that it says, for by grace are ye saved. That's very clear, very plain language. We also read in Second uh, Timothy 1, 9, it says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. The Bible also tells us, it's, it's, it's told us very clearly here that it is by grace that we have obtained eternal salvation. And it goes on in Romans and it tells us, that therefore by the deeds of the law or the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So the Bible is very clear that our eternal salvation is not based on our efforts. It is not based on the energy that we put into it. It is not based on anything that we accomplish by with our hands or our minds. And if we try to add works to achieve or complete our salvation, 
then we can no longer proclaim it is grace that has saved us. If we add works to salvation, then we make Christ a debtor to us in the sense that he now owes us atonement because we have met certain conditions and completed our work. Now, let's look at some common works that sometimes are added to salvation. Sometimes we say, here are some things that that you need to do in order to obtain eternal salvation. And let's try to apply that to Romans 11, 6. Either it's by grace or it's by works, but it can't be both, okay? So let's look at the subject of belief. Is belief a work? Ask yourself this, does belief require energy? Does belief require effort? Is belief something that we accomplish with our mind? And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, and I know that you would agree with me on this, that sometimes believing can be very, very difficult. We can strain our minds and we can groan in our thoughts and in our minds trying to determine, is this something I want to believe? Uh, The example that's on my mind right now is politicians. It is so difficult to believe politicians. Sometimes you hear what they say, you hear their their pitches, and you hear the things that they uh, say they're going to do or things that they've done or things they haven't done. And the world we live in now, you struggle. I don't know what to believe. I don't know if that's true or I don't know if that's not true. So believing, just from a personal experience, believing can be very, very difficult. It can be something that, that... uh, that my mind just grieves over and groans over. And that we see in the Bible, that's something the disciples struggle with. You know, in Mark, the sixth chapter, in the 14th verse, the resurrected Christ, it says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You see, the disciples had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and seen the miracles Yet, even though he said three days, I'm going to be risen, even though three days had gone by, and even though these very credible friends have come to him and said, we've seen the resurrected Christ, they still did not believe. Why? Because believing is difficult. Believing is hard to do sometimes. Israel struggled with that. If you read uh, in in the book of... um, You can read in Numbers. You can also read in Deuteronomy where the Lord has told them, I'm going to give you this promised land and I'm going to, I'm going to fight for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to drive out the inhabitants uh, uh, that are there and give you this land. And they send spies into the land and they come back. And even though the Lord is part of the Red Sea, and even though the Lord has led them by a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire, and he's provided water from a rock, and he's, he's given them manna to eat, and he's sustained them in so many miraculous, unexplainable ways other than the Lord is just powerful and miraculous, they still go into this land with spies, come back and say, there's no way we can do this. And it's, the Bible says in Hebrews 3, the reason they didn't go in, it says, so we see that they could not enter in into the promised land because of unbelief. And it tells us in Hebrews 4, let us labor, therefore, to enter into rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Do you see that? Believing is difficult. Believing is hard. To, to say that belief is not a work is to say that it requires no effort and that it requires no energy. But belief is one of the most difficult things that we will ever do. Now, when we find ourselves believing, what we find is that there is a faith inside of us that is prompting that belief. And and as I've said before, 1 John 5, 1 tells us, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, is already born of God. Belief is a work. 
And Jesus even defines it as a work in John the sixth chapter. He says, then they said unto him, notice how many times it says works. What shall we do? That's a work that we might work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe. Jesus himself defined belief as a work. And just based on the very definitions of accomplishing something with our minds, uh, anything that requires energy or effort, it is no doubt that belief requires our energy, our effort, and it is something that we accomplish with our mind. Now, let's look at another one here. What about repentance? Repentance is simply turning away from your sin. There's a difference between repenting and asking for forgiveness. You can ask for forgiveness and never repent. You might, uh, you know, you might be abusing your spouse and, and you say, Lord, forgive me of abusing my spouse, but you continue to abuse your spouse. Now you've asked for forgiveness, but you have not repented because the repentance is the act of turning away from your sin. Is repentance a work? Now, the proverb says the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. How easy it is for us to turn around and go back to the very sins that we just turned our back on. Paul even says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not for the good that I would. I do not. But the evil which I would not that I do. You see what Paul is saying? It is hard for me to stop doing what I don't want to do. It is hard for me to stop sinning. Paul says, I don't want to do these things. I want to turn away, but I keep finding myself going back to the mud after I've been washed to wallow in it. I keep finding myself like that dog that goes back to his vomit. Listen, folks, repentance is hard. Repentance is hard because we have a sinful, fleshy nature that craves and desires the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They crave them, and we we surround ourselves with things that feed that fleshy nature, and it keeps us wanting to go back, keep going back, keep going back to that sin. So true repentance is difficult sometimes. So I would say turning your back on your sin and walking away from it and not returning to it again, it takes tremendous energy and it takes tremendous effort. And it's something you've got to set your mind that you're going to do and you're going to follow the Lord in obedience and not go back to those things. But repentance is difficult for us. That's why we have to do it over and over and over again. Now, we've looked at belief. The definitions of, uh, of, of a work and, and and what belief actually is and the difficulties of belief, we see very easily that belief is a work. Jesus even defines it as a work. Repentance, turning away from your sin, we see very easily how much energy and how much effort that requires. Now, what about confessing? What about confessing? Confession really is just admitting that you're wrong. To confess to the Lord is to say, Lord, I have done something that I was not supposed to do. Now, that's hard for a lot of us. That's hard for a lot of us to ever admit that we've actually done something wrong, uh, whether it's to the Lord or whether it's to our friends. I've probably been this person before, and I have dealt with this person before, that no matter how much evidence you put against them, no matter how much evidence is there saying, we know you have done wrong, they'll say, I never did anything wrong. I'm not going to admit and confess that I did anything wrong. Think of all the criminals that are sitting in prisons this morning that have had video evidence against them, DNA evidence against them, all these other things that point to, yes, you did what you were not supposed to do, and yet they sit in prison year after year after year, and what do they say? 
I hadn't done anything wrong. I'm innocent, even after the guilty verdict has already been brought. And they know there's no way out of the jail. They sit there saying, I'm innocent. What are, what are they doing? They're refusing to confess to the things that they have done this wrong. It is hard for us to get on our knees sometimes and say, Lord, I've got sins in my life that nobody knows about. Lord, I've got sins in my life that 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 uh, that that only you ever see. Lord, I've, I'm doing things in my life that that I know I shouldn't do. And Lord, I need to confess to you that on the outside and on the inside, I've got iniquity and transgressions flowing through my life. And I need to let you know that I know that I am wrong and I'm admitting those things to you, Lord, that I have sinned against you, that I have transgressed and broken your commandments and I've broken your laws. And Lord, I am sorry. That's hard for us to do because the pride that dwells in us is a monster. And there's very few things, if any, in this life that is not in our lives that are not poisoned to some degree with pride. And our pride says, don't you dare confess your sins. Don't you dare admit you're wrong. You haven't done anything wrong. That's what your pride will tell you. Pride is a terrible companion. Don't walk through this life with pride because it'll destroy you. Now, the conclusion here to the matter is this. The Bible says that we are saved eternally by grace. That means it is unmerited favor. It means we didn't do anything to deserve it. It means that the Lord did not say, if you will meet these conditions, then I will give you eternal life because that means that that salvation is based off works. And that means we've made Christ a debtor to us, that he owes us salvation once we have met certain conditions. But it is by grace that we're saved, not of works. Now, while our works are vital to our walk in this life, to make them contributors to our eternal salvation is to make grace of none effect. Belief, repentance, confession are very, very hard things for us to do because we're weak. Our flesh is weak, and they're very difficult for us to do. We should do them. But based on what the Bible says, those are considered works. Based on the very definitions, based on what Jesus says, those are works. And they're not contributors to our eternal salvation. Praise be to the Lord that he saw in his mercy to save us by his grace, not giving us any condition to meet, not putting us in a situation where it would make him a debtor to us, but because he chose, he he just set his mind that I am going to adopt a family, to be mine, I'm going to make them my own, and my grace will be sufficient in saving them. They will never uh, earn it. They can never meet any condition to get it. I'm giving them this because I love them. It is unmerited favor on them, and their works have no place in there. Now, our works have a place, and they can protect us from many things in this life and give us a much more pleasant life while we walk on this earth. But for our eternal salvation, for by grace are you saved. I hope that you can rejoice with me and praise the Lord this morning that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Thank you for the, your time, and I hope that that's been profitable to you. been listening to the March to Zion broadcast. 
For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write to the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church is located seven miles east of Gordo and ten miles west of Northport, just off Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. Services are each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Love you.